Well, good morning. As we have seen and as we have heard and as we have sung, uh, this Sunday is a day where we as a church remember and celebrate Epiphany, which actually was yesterday, January 6th. Epiphany is when the church celebrates that Jesus came as the light, that he manifested his glory not just for a few people uh, a long time ago in a faraway place, but he is a light known for all people everywhere at all times, including each one of us in this room. So I'm going to read for us from one of the great stories that is often told on this day that we observe Epiphany. It's found in Matthew 2, 1 through 12, and I will read that for us now. You could follow along in your Bible, order of worship, or just listen as I read. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For he saw a star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, of Judah, sorry, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. And from you shall come a ruler who shall shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it arose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary's mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is God's word, and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the fact that you do reveal yourself to us, and that you reveal your son to us. And Father, for all of us in this room, some of us who have been attempting even this new year to make changes and have seen things not go well, some of us who have already experienced pain and sorrow and hardships this year, some of us who are exhausted, worn out, beat up, and some of us who are just tired, Father, for all of us, whether we are excited to be here, whether we are tired and worn out, whether we are unsure why we are even here. Father, you promised to meet us through your word and your spirit, and I pray that you will now. In your name, amen. So one of the jobs that I had growing up was I was a Domino's pizza delivery guy in the suburb of Des Plaines outside of Chicago. And for this job, I would go into work, and I would go to my manager, and he would give me a list of pizzas, addresses of places I had to deliver pizzas to. A house on Algonquin Road, an apartment on Lee Street, an address on Mannheim Road. And I would take those addresses and I would write them down. And then I would go to this wall in our shop. It was a wall that was completely covered with a large map of the delivery zone of our store. So I would take the addresses and I would find the locations of the various places I had to deliver the pizzas. And I would write down the location and the most efficient way to deliver these pizzas. Which home should I go to first? 
What route should I take in order to be quickly there and back in time to deliver more pizzas? I would grab my pizzas and the directions that I had written out, and I'd head out for my delivery, and I had to make sure that I had the directions right. I mean, this was the late 80s. I did not have a cell phone. I did not have GPS. I did not have Google Maps. I had my car, written directions, and a bunch of pizzas. I had to prepare my route and my path and plan ahead of time to make sure I could do my job right to deliver pizzas in 30 minutes or less, or it was free. Well, I was thinking about this large map that helped me on my delivery route in regards to two things that I want us to think about today. First of all, today is a day where we reflect upon Epiphany, and it is the beginning for us as a church to celebrate the season of Epiphany. This is a season in the church calendar that, in a sense, is like a map or a path for you and me to live according to the seasonal rhythms of the story of redemption. Now, maybe, like me, you did not grow up with the church calendar. But as I have gotten older, I am so grateful for this path that we get to be on with fellow believers all over the world and throughout generations who have followed year after year after year this seasonal rhythm of faith, the seasonal rhythm of Advent, Christmas, Epiphany, Lent, Easter, Pentecost, and then back to Advent again. The rhythm of the season, the repeating sequences of the observance year after year after year is, I believe, powerful for Christian formation. The more we enter into this yearly map of redemption, the more it can deepen our commitment to the gospel, to Jesus, to the church, and to our mission. And this season of Epiphany, we celebrate that Christ is made known to us, that Christ is revealed to us, that he is manifested in and around us. So for the next few weeks, we as a church are going to see through the revelation to the Magi, through Jesus' baptism, and through his life in ministry that he began, Jesus is being made known to us and to the world. And I'm excited for the next six weeks to reflect upon the meaning and the significance as a church of what epiphany matters to us in 2024. As Jesus is revealed in glory during this season, we can celebrate the truth and engage in the mission of the church to witness to the reality that Christ has come into the world to bring healing, to bring light, and to bring life. And the beautiful thing is, as Episcopalian priest and author Fleming Rutledge puts it, Epiphany demonstrates to us that there is no road to glory of God through human seeking. It cannot be summoned by human endeavor. It comes as a pure gift and is revealed only from God's being, from God's will, and self-revelation for the salvation of his creatures. That we cannot in and of ourselves summon God's glory, but that God's glory is revealed to us by God leads me to the second thing I thought about in regards to this map I used to deliver pizza in the 80s. Our story today has God revealing his glory through what these wise men of the East would have understood. God uses a surprising way to a surprising group of people, a path to show where the Christ will be revealed. Some people back then, especially in the East, had developed the study of stars and planets to try to understand what's going on in the world. Many thought that when something important was happening on the earth, you could see it revealed in the heavens. And these wise men, who are also known as the Magi, were probably leading figures in a religious court employing astrology, 
wisdom, interpreting dreams, and perhaps even magical incantations for their work in advising the king. And so these magis would have consulted the stars and an aspect of ancient learning in order to understand what was happening in the world around them. And God used this method of study of the heavens to bring these wise men from the east to Jerusalem looking for where is he who has been born king of the Jews. See, Matthew in his gospel wants us to start with the story of the birth of Jesus, and he tells us nothing about the baby in the manger. He doesn't give us anything about the glorious angels singing in the sky, about the shepherds coming, about Mary pondering it all in her heart. Matthew wants us to see the magi from the east traveling to see Jesus. So this is how Matthew tells the story of the birth of Jesus. And let me just say, if he had been a reporter, he might have been fired by his editor. He really doesn't give us a ton of details in this account. Who were these wise men? How many were there? What were their names? They're from the east, but where in the east are they from? And what is it with the star? Is it a comet? Is it a supernova? Is it two planets forming together? We don't know. We don't know much, but here's what we do know. These wise men, these magi, they were not Jewish. They were not folks that would have been respected or admired by the people of God, including the original listeners to Matthew's gospel. These were Gentiles from the east. They were magicians and astrologers. They seemed like the last type of people that would be invited to the birthday party of Jesus. It's remarkable that when Matthew introduces these characters to his story, he does not give any sign of disapproval or any explanation of why this is okay. I mean, the scriptures forbade divination, including astrology. But Matthew, from the very beginning to the very end of his gospel, wants us to understand that God is not just a God for the Jews, but God is a God for the nations. That God promises his life for all. That's what our Old Testament lesson that Rachel read from Isaiah 60 was all about. We heard these words, all the nations come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. I love that the Gospel of Matthew begins with this invitation to the nations to celebrate the birth of Jesus, and it ends with Jesus himself calling us as his disciples to go to the nations and teach and baptize and promote the kingdom of God. The good news that we get to share the gospel to everyone. And may this season of Epiphany, we believe that Christ is revealed to all. That Christ shines his light on folks that we might not expect him to shine his light on. That Christ and God manifest himself to those we might consider unworthy of this revelation. The story that Matthew tells of the king of the Jews being first recognized and honored and worshipped, not by his own people, but by outsiders, is very good news for all of us today. The good news for you and me today, especially if you feel unworthy of God's love, and God's light. The good news for you today, if you feel like you do not deserve for God to reveal himself to you, listen, none of us, none of us in this room are worthy of God to reveal himself to us. None of us deserve God to shine his light of grace and salvation and hope that we all deserve. And the good news of this story of God is that he continues to meet us where we are in our needs. The God who rules the heavens chose to reveal himself where the Magi were looking. 
And God continues to do that today for us. God continues to meet us in often unexpected places. And if you are unsure of what you believe about God and Jesus, or you know that you do not believe in Jesus as the way and the truth and the life, I am very glad that you're here. I do believe that God promises to meet us when we gather together to worship. But I also want you to know God will meet you where you are. God will meet you in your questions when you don't understand what's going on in your life or the world around you. God will meet you in your doubts when you're wondering, if you are good God, why do we keep hearing about another senseless killing? God will meet you in your wanderings when you run and run and run from you. And God will continue to run after you. Let me repeat myself. The Magi were the last type of folks that would be invited to the birthday party of Jesus. But these are the exact folks that God wants to worship his son. God's grace is far greater than we could ever understand or appreciate. So God's grace moved these magis from the east to travel a long way to look for the one who was born king of the Jews. And they had into Jerusalem, our account records, with a large enough caravan to attract the city's attention. They must have assumed that they would find the newborn king in the capital, I mean in the place of power and recognition. They probably assumed that it would be in Herod's palace in Jerusalem where a king would be born. And so that's where they go. And once they say what they're doing, Herod is obviously troubled. Because he knows he is not the true king of the Jews. He knows his power only comes because Rome has placed him in charge of Jerusalem as almost like a puppet king. And we actually know through historical accounts that when Herod got older, he increasingly got more and more paranoid to hold on to his power, imprisoning many, killing many, including some of his own family members, because he wanted his power to stay in place. He might know he's not the true king of the Jews, but he plans to keep his power as long as he can. And so this vulnerable, humble child that was born in a manger is threatened by this tyrant Herod from the very beginning he took his first breath. This little child that had no royal attendants to care for him, no military guard to protect him, could not compete, humanly speaking, with all that Herod had and could do. The earthly kingdom and the kingdom of God do not align. See, Jesus is an utterly helpless, dependent infant, heightens the contrast between worldly power and pomp that Herod represents and the humble kingdom of justice and peace and love which God has brought about in the birth of Jesus, the true king and ruler of the world. But Herod is blind to the kingdom because of his lust for power and his own plans and purposes. Human ambition, power, strategic planning for success often cannot see the hand of God. And when God's kingdom comes, there's an attempt to thwart the purposes of God. Herod wanted to keep his throne, and he would do anything in his power to prevent someone from taking it away. Our world is no different today. And we often are no different today. The trappings of power and of success and of status and of have recognition and a voice in the world often becomes the values we live for or the type of people we support or follow in hopes of getting what we want, thinking what we deserve. A powerful leader, a path of success is more appealing to many of us than the path of humility, the path of serving, the path of turning the other cheek, the path of promoting peace, the path of fighting for the needs of others more than our own needs. The contrast between worldly power and God's kingdom is still evident today. 
And this means that even today, Jesus and his kingdom is a threat to all kind of leaders and all kind of kingdoms in the world. And sadly, (laughs) the ones that should be the most aware of the true kingdom are often blind to the light of the kingdom of God. The ones that should be leading the charge towards the king and his kingdom often are apathetic. Or those who should be celebrating the kingdom of God are too uncomfortable with what this kingdom and king might ask of them, so they do nothing. I mean, think about these religious leaders in our passage here and what they do with the question of where the king was to be born. Herod is troubled. And though he is the king of the Jews, he doesn't know the scriptures. So he goes to these religious leaders and the chief priests and the scribes, and he asks them, where will the Christ be born? And the religious leaders open up the scriptures. They open up the prophet Micah, and they share the truth. In Bethlehem of Judea is where the Christ will be born. In Bethlehem, about five miles away, Herod, from where we are, the Christ that has been promised is to be born. This is what the religious leaders told Herod, and then they did nothing. They did nothing. These chief priests and these scribes are very religious people. They possessed a great heritage and a revelation. They knew the scriptures. They knew the promise that the birth was to come in Bethlehem. And then they hear about these strange people from afar that are looking for a star that is leading them to the king. The prophecy pointing to Bethlehem. And they do nothing. They stay where they are in Jerusalem. No matter how great the light is, if we don't have eyes to see in faith, we will be blind to the truth. And this is true of all of us today, not just these religious scribes and leaders. But often it is the religious, the knowledgeable, the self-righteous, the very pious people throughout the Gospels who continually miss Jesus and who he is. And often it is the sinful and the messy and the broken and the humble throughout the Gospels that get to see Jesus in eyes of faith. In May in 2024, we ask God to open our eyes to see not the Jesus we want or the Jesus the world says is this way or the Jesus we hope will help us out, but the Jesus for who he really is. May 2024 be the year we ask God to reveal himself even deeper in our lives. May 2024, for some of us who who maybe have started because it's early in January and so we're reading our Bible, maybe we don't just read to gain knowledge or to check something off, but we gain to know our Lord and our God and all that he provides for us. In May in 2024, we have eyes of faith to see the unexpected ways that God will present himself to us and to those people outside that maybe we don't like or don't agree with. And in all things, in 2024 and beyond, may we be people who worship Jesus with all that we are and all that we have. These wise men, they hear it's from Bethlehem to where they're supposed to go, and so they continue to follow the star, and it comes to rest over the place where the child was. Now, our story so far has an angry, lying, vengeful Herod, and he's plotting the death of this child. Our story so far is these apathetic, uninterested religious leaders who want nothing to do with the child that is to be born. And now our story has these non-Jewish astrologers from the East Rejoicing exceedingly with great joy that the star brought them to the Savior. And they entered into the house. They rejoiced as they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. 
I love in the story of Matthew that he's telling us about the gospel, the first encounter between the world and Christ begins with worship. This baby does not speak any great wisdom to the Magi. There's no record of a great miracle. There's no angels singing or halos of glory being displayed. It seems like there's nothing that this little child at this point can do for the Magi from the east. But the fact that they believe him to be the king of the Jews leads them to worship. They saw nothing but the child with his mother, and they bowed down to worship him. I don't know about you, but I sometimes feel like my worship is so dependent upon how I feel God is meeting my needs. My worship is so dependent on how I feel in the moment. Is the song moving me? Are these words impacting my life at all? My worship is so dependent on how I feel God is helping me or not helping me in the midst of my circumstances. And sometimes my worship is more about me and my feelings than God and his deserving of our worship. But worship is how humans were created to respond to God. In fact, we all were made to be people that worship. And all of us do worship. Even if you are today someone who would not call yourself a follower of Jesus, all of us in this room give worth to things. All of us in this room place things up with value and recognition and we follow those things and we honor those things. We worship so many things. But the scriptures are clear. The central focus of our worship should always be Jesus. And when people are drawn to and find and worship Christ, they also find themselves wanting to bring gifts as a part of their worship. And I got to say, as I was working on this sermon, this part made me pause and think how grateful I am to this church and how much you model this truth to me. So many of you have amazing gifts that God has given you, and you use them to serve others in amazing ways, sometimes in ways that no one other sees but God. Some of you open up your lives to people. Even though you have hard lives, you're turning yourselves to others and listening to them and caring for them and not trying to fix them, to just be there with them. And that is a gift you're giving in worship to God as you serve others. Many of you open up your home and hospitality and open up your checkbooks and hospitality to people that are in need. And many of you serve with gracious, joyful hearts that is humbling. I have seriously been taught by, cared for, supported, listened, and challenged by so many of you in this room. Far greater than gold, frankincense, and myrrh are the many gifts that you get to offer God in how you serve other people and through us how you serve our world. But as I end this time today, I do want to briefly talk about the gifts that the wise men gave to Jesus. One of the things that... uh, I loved in my study of this passage. I've never really studied this passage deeply before. And what struck me the most in reading commentaries was that a few of them mentioned how, without them even knowing it, the gifts that were given, especially the gold, would have helped this poor young family escape to Egypt from the wrath of Herod. You might know um, the hard, difficult story right after this one in Matthew. After this beautiful story of the Magi worshiping Jesus, We have Herod killing all these kids out of fear of losing power. And just before that happens, God comes to Joseph in in a dream and says, you need to go to Egypt. You need to hide until Herod is gone. And so they left. And there is no way this poor, young family could afford a move like that. But God was in control and provided what they need, perhaps the gold that these wise men gave them. 
It's amazing. In this whole story, God provides the star for the Magi and allows them to see where the child is to be born. It's amazing that Herod, with all his power-hungry protection, didn't send another group of people with the Magi. He somewhat believed that the Magi would come back to him. God was involved in that. God provided what the family needed in the protection of Jesus, and God provides a dream for the Magi to go another way and not go back to Herod over and over again. And you read in Matthew 2, God's in control of everything, and this is still true today. Despite of how it looks and despite of honestly how it feels at times, the same God that led the Magi to Jesus leads us today. The same God that provides everything these characters need in this story is the same God who provides everything we need. We don't always believe that, but let me encourage you on this day we celebrate Epiphany, that Christ is the light, a light made known to everyone. May we, as much as we can, come to this light and worship him and acknowledge him as the light for the world. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your love, and we thank you for your light. And even as we think about a beautiful story like this, followed up with a terrible story of death and destruction, that's the reality of the world we live in. We can celebrate that that your kingdom has come, but your kingdom has not come fully yet. And so there is still death, there's still destruction, there's still pain, there's still deception, there's still so much pain that many of us are going through. But Father, the light has come and the darkness shall not overcome it. May we believe that and may we look to Jesus today, the season of epiphany in our lives, for the light of the world that we need. In your name, amen.